All right, my, my craziest entrepreneurship story is I was arrested in Waikiki <laughs> Beach in Hawaii when I was 17 for, for selling uh, football jerseys without having a, a permit to sell on the street. I want to give a special shout out to our Instagram page. If you have yet to follow us there, what are you waiting for? Follow our cute little coconut for great reminders, content snippets, and great vibes to perfume your day. We know you'll love it as we expand our ecosystem to journey with you every step along the way. So come on to the Financial Coconut Instagram page now. Tag us whenever you see some interesting stuff. Help grow our community together. Link is in the description below. Have you ever wondered if you could travel the world and run a business at the same time? Living the dream, they say? Or is it just a pipe dream? Our guest for today has quit his high-paying banking job and travelled across the world. I know, uh, a bit cheesy these days. But what's interesting is he fumbled into multiple failed ventures in Bangkok, breaking down at some really hard dark times in a foreign land. He later tried to recreate that same experience of backpacking and venture building, which developed into a madly successful entrepreneur hostel chain. So let's welcome Vikram, founder of Draper Startup House, an entrepreneur lodging network with locations all across the world, from Houston to Estonia to Vietnam, to share about his little cheeky experience and how he uprooted himself from corporate America, shed his identity to become a dirty startup founder in his 40s in Singapore. Welcome to Entrepreneur Shit Show. Uh, so, Who does that? Who does that? Well, I, I, apparently it's a very common thing. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay, okay. So share with us more, right? Well, it's, there's there's a sporting event called a Pro Bowl, and and it's it's a very big sporting event, and people spend a lot of money on merchandise, you know, buying T-shirts and and um, all the, the the full gear, and um, I was on the, on the beach, and I thought it was a good idea to so I partnered up with with someone to to sell merchandise, and didn't realize that um, we needed a permit to be able to like sell stuff on the street. And um, I didn't have a permit, and um, I got arrested for not having a permit, which I know sounds worse than it is. It's just you know, it's it's not, it's not a criminal offense, yeah, but yeah. Uh, it's it, really funny. But it but, was yeah, yeah at I was, seventeen. Yeah, I was put into a holding cell and and uh, sort of experienced a little bit of what it could be like mm. being a juvenile offense, I suppose, and. Um, yeah, so that that's I mean that's that's as crazy as it gets. So it's nothing crazy, mm. but it's, it's pretty wild, right? Like that kind of you know started you off on this like whole entrepreneurship thing, and mm-hmm. then you moved on to do other stuff, right? And then you joined Copper America. I did, I right? did. So yeah. yeah, just kind of help us understand like how was that journey, you know, from like this crazy guy yeah. <laughs> at Waikiki yeah. to Copper America. Yeah. Well, truth be told, I I feel my entrepreneurship journey is just starting. That's, that's how I feel. And the reason for that is I, I started building companies much later in life. You know, generally when you, when you talk to entrepreneurs, you hear the success stories. Generally, it's like someone started a company at 18, became a billionaire. Someone started a company at 23. So there's like a lot of these amazing stories of successes, uh, of people striking out on their own and building something. But I, I feel that moment hasn't quite come for me yet. I, 
feel that moment is still to come. Uh, so the, how, how old are you? Just kind of give us a, an understanding. Like when you say late, yeah. what well, is Well, I'm, I'm 40. Oh, okay. You don't look 40. Yeah. I, well, look, I, I look 40. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, mm-hmm. you look young. Okay. But, um, I, you know, I, Draper Startup House uh, or the Time Tribe Theory it was something I started when I was 38 uh, or 37. or th- Yeah, th- or 38, which is pretty late to be starting a company. Um, at least that's what appears. But if you look at the statistics and the data, you'll see that most companies in the world have been started usually by people around, you know, 40-ish, yeah. 40 plus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I think that makes a lot of sense for me now, now that I understand what kind of person I am mm. and what kind of things I like to do and not do uh, and the experiences I've had. It makes perfect sense that this is actually a really good time to start a business. Yeah. And I think we, we, we were looking at the same research probably, right? Mm-hmm. So the, that research talk about how the success rate of people in the, that, that are older you know, tends to be a lot higher, but the number of successful startups that come from the, quote unquote, the more experienced people, <laughs> for right. like a better way to put it, right. you know, it's lesser, right? Because there are just lesser people trying. Right. right? And why do you think that's the case? Well, I, I, I think generally I feel in this stage of my life, even though... You know, I have a family, uh, and and taking a risk is probably not as appealing as if you were a single 25-year-old person, you know, who only had themselves to worry about. Even if that, even if that is the case, I just feel, I personally feel that I am more well prepared to pursue something that I have done some analysis on, mm. pursue something that I know is something that I want to pursue, mm. as in something that I'm passionate about. Yeah. But why aren't your peers doing that? Because what we're saying mm. is that there's the lower tendency of people trying entrepreneurship right. you know, at an older age. Yeah. Right? So you're probably an oddball amongst your friends. Yeah, I, 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 su- I suppose so. And I totally understand why following or, or trying to do an entrepreneurial venture at this age would be very unappealing because it's very risky, <laughs> especially if you are someone who, you know, has a career that is good at, say, banking or good at, you know, being a chef or just good at a skill. Yeah. And, that you someone were, that, and you were good. And, and I was, that career, yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I spent uh, seven or eight years in banking and, and I felt I... I acquired skills that people would pay me money for. Like Definitely. if I went and worked at a bank, yeah. uh, I suppose I could probably, I hope, you know, get a job where someone would say, hey, Vikram has skills in banking or in client services or, or in sales or in, um, you know, reporting or whatever it is that we would like to pay him money for his time. I'm sure that is true. And, and, I, and I think uh, people become comfortable with that. And I think that's totally fine. So it's just the later stage in your life, the, the more risks there are because you have to give up more. Right? You have to give up, um, you have families, you have a, a set career. You don't want to start from zero again. Yeah. Um, there's social pressure, there's family pressure. I mean, there's, all, there's so much, there's, it's more complicated at this stage of someone's life to start a new company. Unless you already have wealth that you don't want, you, like that, 
you're not worried about wealth. And so starting things is a natural part of mm. your life. But for most professionals who are in a career where they exchange time for money, starting an entrepreneurial venture is very complicated and risky and difficult. So you were saying like there's so many different kind of pressure, family, social, you know, financial pressure. Mm -hmm. What was the biggest one for you? Well, for me, I think the pressure was lower because even though I had a profession, doing something, what I'm doing now, was something that I've always wanted to do. And I got lucky, you know, having a spouse who was very supportive. I think that's a, that's a huge help. So you know my wife, Anna. Yeah. Uh, she's been very supportive from the very beginning. And if that was not the case, I guess it could have been a different scenario for me. But she was very supportive. And um, so I think that's, that's one piece. But I think the greater piece probably is that my assessment of risk is probably different than most people. The reason for that is I grew up with not a lot of stuff. Like I, I didn't grow up with a lot of things and uh, I didn't grow up with having an ambition to have a status. So it doesn't take much to make me happy. I don't need much mm -hmm. to be like, materially happy. Like I, I'm not one of those people that wants nice cars, wants nice houses, wants nice things. I just don't have the desires to accumulate a lot of nice things. Mm. I mean, of course, we all like nice things, but I don't have this inherent desire to sort of have X amount of accumulation of wealth mm. to be happy. It doesn't need, I don't need much. Yeah, but you still left the banking sector in that sense, right? Right. So although you don't need a lot, yeah. but that was paying the bills. And yeah. after seven or eight years, you left banking. Yes. And you transit to being entrepreneur. Right, so yes. if there isn't a lot of pressure in terms of social pressure, in terms mm -hmm. of material financial pressure, yeah. then what drove you out of a comfortable yeah. job? Yeah, so this actually, it's, it's a really good point because I used to work at JP Morgan, which is... Name drop? It's, well, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a well-known bank. It is. And yeah. it's a brand that a lot of young people want to go work at. And when I was doing my business school, so I did my MBA while I was going to, while I was working. And, you know, a lot of my peers in business school wanted the job that I had. So I, I mean, it was clear that it was something that people wanted to be in. And you're right, when you're in a situation where, when you go to a cocktail party and your identity becomes where you work, then let shedding that is very difficult. And as, as you can see, like, you, you know, you go to any sort of professional setting where you work and what you do for a living is your identity, yeah, right? Yeah. It, it, it becomes, oh, yeah. I am Reggie, I'm a banker, I work at this bank. Yeah. That becomes your de facto identity. Yeah. Even, right? even in startup networking events, it, there is a certain pressure. Right. right. When I go there, I'm like, uh, maybe I'm, I'm not here yet, you know? Like, because some of the startups, they're, they're bigger brands, they're doing better, right? And then if you're representing the yeah. brand, right? So, so yeah. I, I kind of get, yeah. get what you're saying. Yeah. Which, which is, 
it's a very interesting phenomenon because the if you think about companies, like what companies provide in exchange for your time is they provide you with a platform that gives you identity, right? I work at this insurance company that gives you an identity and companies essentially are providing you with an identity and are providing you with a platform for you to build your credibility, build, right? You don't have to do it alone because if you're trying to do it alone, it's a lot more difficult. Yeah. But joining a company that has the network, has the brand, mm -hmm. then that's what they're providing you more than just money, right? Yeah. And so identity is such a powerful thing yeah. and letting go of an identity that other people covet is a very difficult thing to do. Mm. And that's probably one, one of the reasons why it's, it's, you know, people who work at great companies, they have a very hard time starting out on their own mm. because they, they have a lot of things that tick the boxes of, yes. I have a great identity, I have a great paycheck, I have a great career, I have a great future. Corner office. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> but also, I mean, these are all things that are, I think, important in the sense that it gives you, you know, it gives you friendships, it gives you global networks, it gives you, and these are all very imp important, valuable things. I suppose exchanging that to follow something starting from zero that has, you know, that doesn't have a clear um, probability of success, it's a very difficult exchange to do. So I totally understand why people uh, don't want to do it. I recognize that when I was thinking of, starting something on my own, I knew that I had to shed myself from that identity. And so what I did was I literally put a very hard stop to that identity in the sense that I quit my job, I sold everything I had, I picked up a backpack and I went backpacking. And I went to South America and I was hitchhiking, I was you know, backpacking and staying in backpacker hostels. I did a complete through, you know, 180 degree sort of change because I knew that that identity that I had, first, the first thing I had to do was shed that identity. And once I shed that identity, became a dirty backpacker, <laughs> right? It was kind of like I, I, it was okay. We'll do anything, right? right yeah, right. And and that's that's sort of I, I think. Well, part of it was intentional. Part of it was unintentional. But looking back, I think that that shedding of identity was such a critical part of me being able to embrace new things mm. and take new risks uh, and, and pursue new things. That was a very, very important piece of, of the journey. Mm. From corporate America to where you are. So that's the transition. Right. right. And during the traveling, going to all these different places, do you feel like you have redefined success or redefined your life in that, in that process? How, yeah. how did that feel? Yeah, definitely. I, it may sound cheesy, but <laughs> I actually really feel that I'm very successful and for, for the following reasons. <clears throat> I have relatively, I mean, I have good health as far as I know, mm. right? I, I feel healthy. I have a you know, loving wife and a family. I have, you know, just generally I have loving friends and family all around me, brothers, sisters, you know, friends I grew up with. And 
I, I feel I have a relatively young mind in the sense that I am not, I don't take myself too seriously. <laughs> and I feel... And, and that's a good thing? Not I taking yourself too seriously? I think that's a great thing. <laughs> Why? Why? Well, my experience has shown me that if you take yourself too seriously, then you mess up more. And it becomes more difficult to do new things because it, you become a bit more rigid. Mm. You know, if you become so rigid, <laughs> there's, there's no... It just feels more fun to not be rigid. Mm, mm. And, and I suppose taking yourself, like not taking yourself seriously doesn't mean being complete derelict, <laughs> but I, I just, I guess if you're not having fun along the way, what's the point? Yeah. And um, so, so I, I think because of all of those reasons, I, I feel very lucky that, you know, I went to good schools. I feel just as educated as the next person in my, you know, stratosphere. So I don't feel like I'm missing out on things uh, from, from, a, from a learning perspective. So I, I think all of these things make me feel successful. I've traveled the world, mm. which, which is, you know, a privilege, which I've had the privilege to do. I'm generally a very optimistic person and I'm generally a very positive person. I think these are good things. And, and I think this a combination of all those things makes me feel I'm very successful. Um, from a, so that's maybe from a social emotional perspective. And then from a financial perspective, I'm, I'm definitely not wealthy, but I know that if I wanted to make money, if I wanted to exchange my time for money, I could do it. Mm. Like I, I, I think I'm still employable. So <laughs> if I, if I needed to go make money for the family to, you know, put, you know, rice and curry on the table. That's all we have every lunch. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, I suppose I could do that. So I, I think that gives me a sense of peace that I'm still employable mm. if it came down to it. And so, so, so I think the combination of all those things makes me feel successful. And I, I just don't have the ambitions to, to be a tycoon and any a business tycoon. I don't have that ambition, and because I don't have that ambition, I don't feel like the bar for me is not, you know, I'm not trying to become yeah. the Elon Musk, you yeah. know, or yeah. uh, you know, I'm not. Mm. I, I, I just I want to pursue and try to create things that I want to, and mm. if that happens, great. If not. That's also okay. Okay. Hey guys, I know many of you are looking to invest in properties but struggle to get quality content about it. I mean, many of these property content online are tainted with sales bias and we rarely hear from real investors themselves. So in this new show I'll be hosting with co-host Troy, we will dive deep with seasoned professionals, casual investors and experts to help you get a head start on your property investing journey. So join us on the Coconut Avenue today on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or anywhere you consume your content. This will be a seasonal podcast with episodes airing every Wednesday stay. So what are you waiting for? Head over to the Coconut Avenue now. Details at thefinancialcoconut.com slash podcast. So when you say you don't have the ambition to become a tycoon, but you traveled half the world to this other part of the mm -hmm. world and you, you first started your first venture in Bangkok. Yes. Right? And yes. Why do you decide to start a business then? 
no yeah. ambition. Yeah. Well, I've always wanted to start businesses. Okay. That's that's for sure. Even you know when I was in university in Waikiki. Yeah, in Waikiki. <laughs> I think I think more than starting a business, I think controlling my own destiny and having freedom was something I think all of us want. Mm. And I just felt that if, if I exchanged my time for money working for someone or at a company, that is not the freedom that I wanted. Okay. I wanted to be able to say, I'm paying myself. Mm. Right, that that gives me freedom to then make decisions and do things um, that is different. And is that true? Do you feel, yeah, for sure. Do you feel so? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, definitely. I mean, you, it has. You don't feel like you you're creating your own job and then you're in your own business. You pay yourself, but then you're still within the job. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Well, that that's true. So it it's definitely not a perfect scenario, but it's a scenario that I prefer. Okay. Over over someone telling me what to do, what to do, mm. or what not to do, parts of the world. Yeah. So how how was that first venture in Bangkok like for you? Um, it was it was fun at first, then became very difficult. At first, I was very naive, so I thought, oh yeah, we'll we'll you know we'll do these things. But then, as you start to learn about how complicated things can be, how difficult. It is to do simple things like registering a company and and you know sign having contracts signed and um, you know I'll, everything is just so much more difficult. Once I started learning that and experiencing that, it became not so fun. <laughs> and uh, so it started off like super super fun. What were you guys doing there? So the first thing we did was. We were trying, so we were we were building a startup incubator, which had just tons of ideas that we were incubating. So things like uh, accounting systems. Uh, there was one startup that uh, was trying to build uh, like a zero uh, mm -hmm. for for the Thai market. Um, there was one idea where we're trying to build a plastic surgery marketplace. Um, there was one idea that was trying to build. Um, you know, a logistics, uh, last mile delivery kind of stuff. So all all sorts of ideas was uh, that was our first project, just incubating all of these ideas. The second one where I spent a bit of time on and actually raised venture money for was to do a food delivery business in Bangkok, and and the the spin on the food delivery business was that we were going to do it completely through social channels. So all the ordering and everything, we would not build an app. It would be done through Messenger, Facebook Messenger. And this is when Facebook Messenger was really starting to do all the APIs and, and you know, integrate with different businesses. Um, and, and I think they were, they were experimenting with a lot of the stuff in Asia. It hadn't been rolled out in, in, even in the US. Um, and, and because a lot of commerce gets done in Asia through social channels, like Facebook Messenger, Instagram, we thought this would be a good way to build a food delivery business completely on top of social media. So we raised a bit of venture money for it and we built it and it was out in the market for a while, but I ended up leaving that company and... Um, Why? Um, 
two, two main reasons. The first main reason, there's a lot of founder challenges. Uh, we had, you know, we had a group of people who came together to build this thing. And um, after a while, personality cl clashes. Um, How do you even start with this group of people? Well, that's the thing. Like, and I think this, this is a good lesson for the future for me, which is the groups of people you come together to start a company, you have to make sure that those groups of people are a group of people that would, are going to really get along. And um, this group of people, you know, great people, but we just at some point didn't gel that well. And it's, it's because we didn't really know each other that well. We came together through social networks. You know, we, we were all involved in something or the other. We met as friends and became friends and then said, hey, let's launch this thing. And um, I guess we're all acquaintances. We didn't really know each other on a deep, deeper level, mm. and so when when you know when things got when really rough, um, personalities clash, especially if you don't know each other well, and if that trust factor hasn't been built over time. Um, so that was that was probably the biggest issue, and the second issue was doing food delivery was not really where. You want to be. I, I wanted to be. It was mm -hmm. not a passion, you know, that 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 um, that I I thought was worth pursuing over these major personality clashes that were happening. Mm. Just rolling back on the personality clash, I'm just kind of curious. Like, do you think people should get partners that are talented, you know, or or should it be like people that they can trust? Right, so yeah. that's the that's the thing. Yeah. Right? How do you how do you then decide how yeah. much is talent, how much is trust, and how do you factor trust? Yeah, I think it's both, mm. especially in the beginning stages of a company. You you need partners who have talent, and those talents have to offset your talents. If if it's just people that you trust and they have no talents, I it, it's going to be very difficult. <laughs> To build something, mm. uh, so I, I know I know it's it's and that's why it's so difficult. It's so difficult to find founders, and if you see a lot of startups where companies fall apart because of founder issues, and I think it has a lot to do with trust, but probably trust plus capability and ability, because a lot of times I've seen two friends come together. They trust each other, they love each other, friends just childhood, they come together to build something, and it turns out that none of them have the ability to do all the things that need to be done, which in the beginning stages, you kind of have to do everything. Everything. Right? Yeah. So if there's some major abilities or capabilities that are lacking, then it means you have to go and hire someone else, which means that you have to pay someone else to do it. And um, so I, I think it's definitely both. But if I had to pick one of the other, I would say probably trust is and, and the ability to really work together, especially when things get really, really hard, is probably more important because you can go hire someone for, for ability, right? Okay. But best is both. I, 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 think it's, I think it's both. So it's not yeah. just about pulling that random friend that you, that you enjoy hanging out with. Yeah. And it's not also just finding someone that's talented but you yeah. can't gel with. Right? Yeah, because, because if, if that ability and the capability is missing, then that 
personal factor starts to deteriorate because mm-hmm. then then you know when things get really hard you go well I'm doing all the work what are you doing yeah, yeah. right those types of questions oh, they yeah. start really start to like they they start weighing on you yeah and and so that's why I I think like having both um, the boxes checked is yeah important yeah. it starts hounding right during mm-hmm. tough times right right and then when you broke up with them what happened for you oh i mean it was very difficult for me yeah it was a period it took me about 6 months to really get myself back up and uh get over the emotional um pieces that sort of fell apart during during that that time um so I, I spent six months kind of recovering, to be honest. Um, yeah, I was, I was kind of a bit in the, in the pits. How did uh, that feel? Well, you start to really question yourself, you know, and there's a lot of um, self-doubt that creeps in. You know, why did this happen? What did I do wrong? Um, it's just, it's just how it's going to be. Like, why can't pe- I get along with people? So there's a lot of self-doubt that creeps in. And then there's a lot of blame game that, you know, you blame someone else for the situation. You know, why didn't this person do this? Why didn't that person? And you know, then you start to blame people. And, and when you start to blame other people for situations that are completely your own doing, <laughs> Because ultimately, everything is, in a way, all, you know, we're responsible for, for everything that happens, right? And so <clears throat> I think there was a lot of blame game in my head. And by the way, this is all the psychological monkey mind just yammering on. And, 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 um, and, and the thing is, like, after that, I didn't really have something that I jumped into. And, and that's probably not the best thing. Like if, if, you, if you come off, it's, it's like a relationship. If you come out from a bad relation, uh, from a, a breakup, and you jump into something that keeps you occupied, mm-hmm. right? Like let's say you're you're training for a marathon or you're climbing a mountain, right? You're doing something that keeps you occupied, so you don't think so much about that relationship. But if you had a bad relationship, and then you have a year of nothing to do, or you're sort of sitting around, then that becomes a very difficult sitting around <laughs> because. You have all the time in the world to think about all the things that went wrong and could have gone wrong or could have gone better. So that's that's sort of what um, what happened to me. I had time, and because I had time, a lot of blame game, self sabotage, self questioning. You know, all the negative things that um, can happen. Um, sort of occupied my mind for six months and it took me it took me that long to sort of just recover from from the situation Mm. so how did you go from like the abyss to where you are now which is like okay yeah i think i value if there's anything you know i could go out and work you know so that's yeah that's from shit show to become like confident right yeah so so how did that happen yeah well so there was a, a very critical moment where i was on a plane and I bought a book to read at the, air, at the airport at one of the book things. I bought a paperback. And I'd heard of this book before, but I 
it was it was not it was not in the forefront of my mind, and it was um, there's a book called The Power of Now, which is um, I suppose you could say it's a philosophy book or maybe it's a self help book, and um, <clears throat> I read the book on the plane. It's it's an easy read, and that literally shifted my perspective and shifted my thinking and it just snapped me out of my condition and it was so simple you know the the, the whole the, the the premise of the book is you're letting your mind go back to the past and just live there hmm. whereas you should be living today and now in the moment you should be living as things unfold and not because that's all said and done and it's not real anymore right it's it's just it's it's yeah. done so yeah. it was really that simple but maybe maybe the intensity of the the you know the book and and how well it's been written and how well it's communicated sort of connected with me and i snapped out and that that that's all it took <laughs> you know it, it but, but, you know, that's what I think now, but I think I had to go through that pain. Yeah. Because you that pain... You had to analyze all those, right. internalize the thoughts and just kind of look at all these right. things to finally... That was like the last thing. Well, that was the thing. If, if I hadn't gone through the pain, I don't think that book would have made sense to yep, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that book spoke to me because I felt all the negative things associated with what happened and the pain was strong so reading this book i was ready to get the medicine mm. in that sense yeah. so yeah so that that was a, a pretty uh, critical sort of switch uh, in my mind uh, which you know helps me even uh, today cool and one last question right mm -hmm. i just want to know like why despite all these sounds like crazy right why do you still do it I genuinely love doing this most of the days. <laughs> <laughs> most of the days. <laughs> but, but, but really, in terms of like, ideas that I want to be pursuing right now, this is it. This is the one that I want to pursue. This is the one, despite all the challenges, right? Despite COVID, despite all the shenanigans that are happening that are like literally like you know, wins in our face, right? Um, I still, this is the idea that I want to pursue. And, and because this is the idea I want to pursue, I feel, I, you know, I, I feel energetic about it. And I feel this is not wasting my time, that this is worth pursuing because it's something I really want to pursue. people that you can trust but are also talented right and that is a, from a personal experience that is that is a real challenge right finding people that are really good but also you can trust them right so from my experience it's a lot about you know spending time together to test out something so don't we don't commit we don't over commit to each other we just kind of test each other out you know do some small little projects and from there then we decide that okay actually this person's quite good pretty talented and i feel comfortable talking to them and working with them and the comfort goes beyond just work but a lot about also the, the person 
right? So I think that's kind of that's kind of where I stand uh, from this interview. I hope you learned something useful. And hey, since you stay all the way here, Vikram has something additional for you after this. So just if someone wants to start entrepreneurship, right? right. What is one advice you would share with them? The advice I give myself is you you have to be willing to be embarrassed. And and this is something that I have to tell myself all the time. This is what I had to tell myself when we first started this idea was you have to be willing to be embarrassed because not everyone's going to get it. People are going to laugh it off. Whatever ideas you have, someone's going to like give you all the wrong signals, right? So you have to be willing to be embarrassed uh, for an idea that you think is worth pursuing. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for today. Thanks for your time. Thank See you, you soon. All right. Bye.